Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. What's the difference between God's love and the human worldly love that is so obviously rampant in our culture today. Now, I think that there could be a lot of really good answers. For example, someone might say, well, faithfulness. You know, God's love is full of faithfulness. You're in it for the long haul till death do us. Come on, finish it with me part, right? Faithfulness. God's love is full of faithfulness. And I think that's true, right? Some people might say, oh, Pastor Robert, it's passion. I mean, a marriage and a relationship under God's love, it has to have passion. That's the thing. And and I think passion is necessary. Uh, Some people might say, you know what I think it is? It's selflessness. I mean, God's love is, is selfless. It's others focused. I mean, that's got to be the main ingredient. God's love is selfless, right? Some, some other people might say, well, you know, God's love is patient, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God's love is patient. God's love is kind, right? God's love bears all and endures all. I, I think those are good too, right? But at the heart of the matter, the difference between God's love And the human worldly love that we see that's so apparent today, it's really a one-word answer. You ready? You ready? Put your seatbelt on. You ready? Truth. The difference between God's love and every type of human worldly-centered love is truth. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more just as a reminder. This is like our sixth week in a series that we're calling I've Got Questions. And the subtitle is How to Reconcile God's Absolute Truth in a Postmodern Culture. If you don't know what postmodernism is, that's okay. I'll briefly explain that as we get going here. But we've all got questions. There's a lot of great questions. And some of the questions we're having to deal with in society weren't really on the table many years ago. And these questions are so important that God wants us to come to Him with our questions so we get the right answers. Because if we go to the world with our questions, we're going to get the wrong answers and those answers will cause us to become unstable in our relationship with God and they ultimately can affect us in the long haul. 
And so we've been talking about how we're living in a culture that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons. That's in the Bible. Like Paul tells Timothy, listen, as we get closer to the return and ultimate return of Jesus Christ, some people who are in a relationship with God now will depart. They'll begin to drift. And the reason why that's going to happen is they're going to buy the lie. They're going to give in to this deception that's happening, by the way, in churches and then spreading into our culture. Pastor Robert, there's deception in churches? Yes. Watch a movie called Come Sunday. It's a true story about a pastor named Carlton Pearson, prominent, faith-filled, fundamental, Bible-believing pastor. One day, he decided that he's got a fresh revelation and that hell doesn't exist and everybody goes to heaven no matter how you live, no matter if you receive Jesus. At the end of the day, everyone will be saved. That's a movie based on a true story. So there's deceptive teachings that really are formulated in the kingdom of darkness because the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the first thing he wants to do is he wants to kill and steal and destroy our relationship with God and salvation in Jesus. Isn't that true? And so we have to understand that there's this deception that's going on. And it's not just in churches. It's in our culture. And it's getting more and more pervasive. If you're watching any of the news, if you're following any social media, it's obvious. There's a deception going on and it's infiltrating even the family of God. So putting like modern terms and language to what Paul said in 1 Timothy, basically postmodern culture believes that there is no absolute truth and if there is any absolute truth, it has to be destroyed. We're seeing that right now as we see the rise of relativism relativism is you can identify your individual experiential truth as the truth regardless of what the bible has to say and regardless of what god says is truth that's relativism what's true for you is good what's true for me is good so we've got all these different variations of truth but none of it is coming from the scriptures that's postmodernism culture today. And we've been talking about, okay, so this is obviously affecting the church, so how do we stand on God's truth? Well, all of these different variations of truth are taking place, not only in culture at large, but let me just be very personal and bring it home. Even in our own families, there's division about what truth is and how to live by it and it's causing fractions and it's causing uh, problems in families. At least I know it does in mine. Last week we talked about God's eternal purpose in relationships. If you didn't catch it, you can go to our podcast and you can listen to it. And if you're breathing, which you are, you know that relationships are difficult to navigate sometimes, especially in the culture that we live in. Relationships with spouses, relationship with children, 
with neighbors, with family, with cousins, with nieces, with nephews, with church family. Relationships are difficult sometimes to navigate. And one of the big reasons relationships are difficult is because our postmodern culture and philosophy says that all we should have is love and kindness. And that love and kindness should, listen, should affirm another's self-realized and self-defined personal truth. And so if we say anything that doesn't affirm someone's self-defined personal truth, foul, foul, they call it foul. You're, you're not walking in love. That's not loving. That's not kind. And that's a, that's, a, that's a tension that we have in our culture. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that before, but that's a tension that's in our culture. So this morning across all three of our campuses, what we're trying to do is we want to kind of untangle some of these things and we want to talk about what does it mean to walk in love? That's the title of today's talk. What does it mean to walk in? Let me, let me kind of be a little more pinpointed. What does it mean to walk in God's kind of love? Right? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. It's on your sermon guide. So if you already have a sermon guide and you don't want to turn your Bible, you don't have to. But I like looking at the scriptures. And I like highlighting my Bible and marking up my Bible. And I keep going back and learning things every time I look at the scriptures in my Bible. So I want to read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 or so. And this is what the Apostle John writes in this letter. This is what it says, okay? He says, Beloved, now beloved is a term of family in the Christian faith. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God, come on, say it with me, is love. In this, the love of God was manifested or came into view toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son, that's Jesus, into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God. We didn't take the first step. But that He loved us. He took the first step and sent His Son to be, I'll say it this way, the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Yours is probably the easy to read version on the handout that I gave you. I just want to make it easy, right? And then in verse 11, he just kind of sums up his thoughts and he says, Beloved, family, family in Jesus, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, this is not a trick question. How many of you believe that Christians, people in the family of God, should learn to love one another? Come on, let me see a number of hands. Most of us believe that, okay? Simple questions. I'm all about simple, okay? Here's the next one. Simple question. How many of you believe that the love of God from us 
should go beyond the family to people who aren't even in the family yet. Come on, how many of you believe that, right? Like, so we're not supposed to be loving to each other in the family of God and then unloving to people who aren't Christians yet, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus said, by this all will know that you're my followers if you have love for one another. That's like a big deal. Jesus said that. So here's the first point I want to make. If you're taking notes, here's a fill in the blank from these scriptures we read, okay? Number one, God's commandment is to live out love. True? Is that what it says? In a nutshell, in what we read, come on, say it with me. God's commandment is to live out love. So here, John, the apostle, he is stressing the importance of walking in love with each other and with other people. Listen, as one of the true tests of the Christian life. One of the tests that we can pass as a genuine follower of Jesus is we're learning to walk in love with one another. So like if, if you don't walk in love, you don't really know God. You don't really have a relationship with Him. So this is a commandment from God. You must learn to live out love. And he's, he's, he's saying, listen, this is a test of your knowledge. It's a test of your relationship with God. Why? Because God is love. If you say you know God and you have a relationship with God, but you're living an unloving life, then your relationship with God and your knowing God isn't as good or as solid as you think it is. And we need to go back to the drawing board. That's what he's saying. God is love. Now, listen to me. This has become a very, very popular cultural catch-all for so many things. For example, some might say, well, Christian, I, I don't know uh, about sin or God's ways, but I do know that God is love, so that means we should affirm, support, encourage, and be careful to never offend anyone because, after all, God is love. Can I just be honest? If we're learning to walk in the God kind of love according to the truth, there are going to be occasions, even when we are loving, that people will be offended because we're standing on truth. So we have to learn to be okay with that. Jesus, even though he was love like in the flesh, some of the things he said offended a lot of people, especially the religious leaders of the day. And so we got to understand that that's part of the culture. We're going to walk in love. We're going to speak from a place of love, but we're still going to offend people. Um, I also want to say this, that we have to be careful because so many people in our culture, and I'll even say this, some Christians, some Christians, rather than allowing the Word of God, which is the Bible, to show us what walking in love really means, have taken on a cultural definition for what love is and use that instead of biblical love. So we have to stop and we have to ask the question, if God is love, what is love and what does that really mean to walk in love? And um, the problem I think that we have is for centuries, especially in the Western civilization where we live, 
Uh, there's a lot of people that have exchanged the biblical concept of love with what we will call the Greco-Roman myth of romantic love. How many of you ever heard of Cupid? Can you describe him for me? He's just like little chubby angel. Does he have a harp? He might have a harp. Does he have arrows? He's definitely got arrows, right? And I don't know if you know this, but Cupid is a real Greek god for this Roman, Greco, feelings-based, passion-based love. He's not real, but so many people know what a cherub is, or we should say a Cupid cherub is. And he's the one who shoots someone with his arrow, causing them to experience this irresistibly overwhelming force of passion that consumes every part of them, i.e. falling in love. And while we're most familiar with this when it comes to romantic relationships, perhaps because marriage is where the concept of relationships begins, this notion of feeling-oriented love is not limited just to romance. And this idea of feeling-based love has spread into every, every, every area of relationships. So love is based on how we feel towards others and what feelings they produce within us. So it's important that we understand that the word love can be used in so many different ways. Especially when you study the scriptures, there's different Greek words for the word love. One of the Greek words for the word love is eros, E-R-O-S. And that is a sexual kind of love. It's a romantic kind of love. And so many of our culture today only kind of gear into one kind of love. And a lot of it has to do with this passion-driven We're all adults. This sexual kind of love that is really based on feeling, based on this fleshly human desire. And that's a problem because how many of you know that feelings change? Feelings change. And I I know that there's proof that this idea of love is flawed and hasn't worked because of divorce statistics. And divorce statistics say that both inside and outside of the church, 40 to 50% of first marriages are ending in divorce. And not only that, but statistically speaking, if you study it out, 60 to 70% of all second and third marriages also end in divorce. In other words, the percentage of not having a successful marriage increases for second and third and fourth marriages because so much of our culture leans in on this feeling-based kind of love. And why doesn't this feelings-based or romantic kind of love work for the long haul? Because, listen to this, this is so important, fruitfulness and success in relationships is built on discipline and biblical principles, not only on inspiration and passion. How many of you that have been married for many, many years, you know that the feelings aren't always there 100% of the time. And sometimes the decision is, I've made a choice. And I'm going with the choice that I made. It's a principled choice based on the Word of God. And no matter how I feel, I'm in this for the long haul. And you decide to be disciplined in your relationship. You're not led by your feelings. You're not led by lack of inspiration or inspiration. You're led by 
the decision you made and the discipline that you're walking out to stay with the decision that you made. That's why this, this feeling-based kind of love doesn't work. That's why there are so many uh, people getting divorced in our culture today. Now, we've got to understand this postmodern culture says things like this. Listen, love doesn't really last anyway. So why not give the heart what it wants, when it wants it, with whoever it wants it. Listen, until the heart doesn't want it any longer. That's exactly what's happening in our culture today. And some Christians have bought into this cultural idea of love, but we have to see that this is not the love of God and is not how God loves us, nor is it how God has commanded us to love each other and to love other people. So here's the big question, Pastor Robert. How does God love? What does, God, what does God's love look like? And I, and I think all of us would agree that the greatest example of God's love is to see it lived out through the person of Jesus, right? Jesus is our example of God's love. For example, John chapter 1, verse 14. It's in your notes. This is what the Bible says. The Word, that's a capital W, and that's speaking of Jesus. The Word became a man and lived among us. We saw His divine greatness, the greatness that belongs to the only Son of the Father. And the Word, that's Jesus, was full of grace and truth. So in other words, this is saying that the greatest expression of God is Jesus. God is love. The greatest expression of God is Jesus. Keep that in mind. Colossians chapter 2 says this, all of God lives in Christ fully, even in his life on earth. Again, this is substantiating the fact that Christ demonstrated the fullness of the Father while He was on earth. Hebrews chapter 1. This is such a powerful portion of Scripture. Listen to this. In the past, God spoke to our people through the prophets. He spoke to them many times and in many different ways. Verse 2. And now in these last days, God has spoken to us again through His Son. He made the whole world through His Son, verse 3 says, The Son shows the glory of God. Listen to this. He, Jesus, is a perfect copy of God's nature. And He holds everything together by His powerful command. So again, this is affirming the greatest copy, the greatest example, the greatest manifestation and plain view picture of the Father And the Father's love is Jesus. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the goal. We see in Jesus a clear picture of who God is, what God is like, and how God loves. In John 1.14, the Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and what's the other word? Truth, right? Grace and truth. Let's just break these words down a little bit, okay? In the handout that I gave you, the word grace, this is an expanded definition, okay? I love this. Grace, the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech, goodwill, loving kindness, Favor of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His 
holy influence upon souls turns people to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in the Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian life or the Christian characteristics or virtues. In other words, everything that we receive from God in and through our lives comes by His charis. It comes by His grace, by His favor and His goodwill. Jesus came and He was full of grace and favor and goodwill. Not just to the church, to everybody. That's Jesus. But He also came full of truth. Truth. Truth is the Greek word aletheia, which means, listen, what is true in any matter and under any consideration, truth that is reality and fact. Truth as taught in the Christian faith, respecting the execution of God's purposes through Christ. Have anybody um, noticed, uh, now this is a little controversial, okay? I'm, I'm just being honest, it's a little controversial, but it's all over the place and I don't mean any harm or condemning uh, thoughts behind this question, okay? But has anybody watched the documentary called What is a Woman? You, have you watched it? If you get a chance, Google it and watch it. Matt Walsh, I think, is his name. He has a radio podcast program. And he asked that question a couple of different stages. One of them was with Dr. Phil. And he created such a backlash of controversy that he thought, this is a good question. And so he went all over the country. And he interviewed scholarly educated, academic people, professors and doctors from all different beliefs and spectrums. What is a woman? That was his, that was his question. And, and the documentary goes on and it says that a lot of the people that he's interviewed could not or would not give him an answer because uh, they have made a decision to not go with reality or truth as we've known it forever, right? Which is that a woman is, and this is just biological. This doesn't define women. I'm not defining you women. This is just biological. The answer in short was, a woman is an adult female with female parts. Okay? That was the answer. But nobody wanted to give him that answer. I can't really tell you what a woman is. One of the answers was, a woman is anyone who defines themselves as a woman. Now, I'm not being disrespectful. That's just one area. That's just one area, but it's a, it's a pretty big hot topic right now. And I just want to point back to, that's the culture that we're living in. And it's not based on biblical truth. It's based on perceived reality and truth to them. And this is a problem because it's beginning to find its way in the church. I mentioned last week, uh, 192 Methodist churches in Charlotte 
are having to pull away from the Methodist denomination because the Methodist denomination has made a decision that marriage is no longer defined biblically as between a man and a woman, but anyone who wants to get married. And this is, listen, my heart goes out to that because it's a problem for the pastors. It's a problem for the church members. They might have to go to another church depending on what the pastor decides to do with or without the denomination. This is a big problem. And it's not just the world. It's, it's infiltrating the church. And this is just one area. That's an extreme area. So, Pastor Robert, get back over here. Stay with the message. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. He had both. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. So, so all this means that first, and the next two are quick. The first, God commands us to live out love, and Jesus is our example. So the next thing, here's a fill in the blank. God's love is based in biblical truth. Come on, any of you ameners out there, say it with me. Amen. God's love is based in biblical truth. Ephesians 4.15 says this, but speaking the truth in love so we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. So here's an example. Here's an example. God is love. This is an extreme example, but follow me, okay? God is love. And uh, there was a pastor years ago who was married to a woman. And somehow he decided that God spoke to him that he should divorce his wife and marry his secretary. That's what he believed. God is love. I'm falling out of love with my wife and I'm falling in love with her. I'm going to divorce. And he did. And he did. Caused a big problem, to say the least. But is that love based in biblical truth? It's not. But in his mind, in his perception, it was. And so we have to understand that God's love, remember, I'm talking about the difference between God's love and human worldly love disconnected from God. The difference is truth. Truth. I mean, this is, okay, here's another extreme example. Parents, I don't know if you know this, but it's happening all over the country. Kids, elementary age kids, they're coming to mom and dad. And it's controversial. I'm, I'm not thinking any condemning thoughts. I just, this is just an example. Coming to mom and dad and saying, Mommy, Daddy, um, the little boy would say, I think I'm a girl. I don't feel like a boy. And, and what's happening in a lot of circles is parents are trying to bring truth to their kids and help them to understand. Hey, it's okay if you, you, you want to play with Ken and Barbie once in a while because you like that. But the truth is, what's the truth? You're a boy. That's the truth. And so what's happening though is these kids, they're going to their teacher's in school. And the teachers are having 
clandestine secret meetings with the kids and not letting the parents know that they're affirming what their kids are feeling and kind of shaping them to go with what they're feeling instead of the truth. That's happening right now in our culture. Are you aware of that? And the, and the teachers are saying, well, the most loving thing you can do is to help the children understand that this is really who they are if they feel like that. See, this is important, parents and grandparents, because God's love is based on biblical truth. So important. If we believe the Bible, now again, I know all of us are at different places in our faith and what we believe, and we're all growing, but generally speaking, if we believe the Bible and we want to live out God's love, then the most loving thing we can do is to speak the truth in love. If we really believe there's an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10, we speak the truth in love. If we really believe there's an enemy who's looking to devour people at every opportunity, 1 Peter 5, 8, then we speak the truth in love. If we really believe that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, then we speak the truth in love. If we really believe that we will all stand before God and give an account of our lives, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, then we speak the truth in love. If we really believe that the ways that seem right to us in our own wisdom lead to death, Proverbs 14, 12, then we speak the truth in love. Let me finalize it by saying, if we really believe that heaven and hell are realities for everyone and everyone will spend eternity in one of the places or the other, then we speak the truth in love. If you really believe these things, then the most loving thing you can do is speak the truth in love. Now let me say this. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear your truth. I'm not telling you, I'm not giving you a license just to put your nose in everybody's business and be the truth patrol. Amen. Nobody likes those kind of people. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He graciously brought the truth at the appropriate time, always the perfect time, led by the Spirit of God. He didn't just put his business in there where it was not his business. And I'm going to just be honest. There's some Christians that are like that. And you're not going to point the world to Jesus if you live like that. Not everybody wants to hear your truth. And you don't need to share your truth with everybody. Amen? But when you do, and it's appropriate, you speak it and you always speak it in love. Always, always, always. And it's always based in biblical truth. Okay, here's the last thing you want to write in, fill in the blank. I kind of gave, uh, gave it away. Love is always seasoned with grace. Love is always seasoned with grace. One of the things that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus is that he was the polar opposite of the religious leaders of his day. Let me give you an example. A woman was brought to Jesus by some people. And you remember the story? The story says, Master, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Interesting, they didn't bring the guy. But they brought the woman. And they brought the law of God up. And they said, hey, listen, she's guilty. The, the Bible, the law, Old Testament law says that she's done that. We're supposed to stone her to death. 
Remember Jesus' response? We don't know what he wrote in the sand. I'm not going to speculate. But the bottom line is, Jesus' response was full of grace and truth and love. He told everybody, hey, those of you that are without sin, cast the first stone. Those of you that are perfect, that have never broken the law of God, that have never sinned, go ahead, start stoning her. And the Bible tells us one by one, they all dropped their stone and they walked away. You remember the story? And then she's like, she's in tears because she doesn't know if that's going to be her last day or what. And she sees everybody gone. And she says, Jesus, what's happened? Where's everybody at? And this is what Jesus said. Listen, go away and sin like this no more. See the grace and the truth together? Now, I don't know if she did or not. But if she's human, she probably wasn't perfect from that day forward. Can I get an amen? But the point I'm trying to make is that biblical truth is always in love and love is always seasoned with grace. If you're a Christian and you come on somebody who's not living right and you start bashing them and start condemning them and calling out their sin, harsh, 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 you're never going to win people to the love of God because you, you didn't season all of that with grace and love. And who knows, maybe you weren't the one that was supposed to bring that up to begin with. Not every Christian is supposed to speak the truth to every person. Pastor Robert, okay, so what's the point of your message? Because, you know, I'm getting hungry. Love suffers long. And is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in sin or iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. How many of you have heard those words before? Maybe you've seen them on a Hallmark card or on a pillowcase or something. Those words are from the Bible. As we're getting ready to close, here's the question I have. So Pastor Robert, I hear what you're saying. We're supposed to walk out and live out God's love not only in the church, but in the world and in this postmodern culture where everything is confused about what love is and self-defined love and self-defined truth. How do we walk in God's love? Here's three action steps, okay? They're on your sermon guide. They're very simple. Number one, you have to be devoted to God. You have to be devoted to His Word. You have to be devoted to the Spirit. Why is that important? Because it's God's word that's truth and it's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, that will enable you to walk in truth. You and I can't walk out love without God's spirit. We just can't because in our flesh, we're just not lovely people. In our humanness, we're just not lovely apart from God. So you have to be devoted to God's word. That's his truth. And you have to be devoted to God's spirit. 
because it's the Holy Spirit who enables you to walk in love. When someone gets on your last nerve, you want to give them a piece of your mind. You want to flip someone the bird on the road or whatever. It's only God's Spirit and your commitment to God's Word that will enable you to walk in love. Number two, action step. You have to pray for people. You have to pray for people. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. The ones that don't know Jesus, the ones that get on your last nerve, the ones that you want to turn, you have to pray for them. The prayer of a person in a relationship with God makes a difference. Here's your third action step. Very simple. Trust God and realize that not all people will turn to God. They just won't. It just breaks the Father's heart to know that not all people will turn to Him. But we're going to walk in God's truth and we're going to walk in God's love and we're going to point people to Jesus in the middle of a crazy culture. Amen? Have you been blessed by the Word? Come on, stand up to your feet. Let's pray. I've gone a little over. Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your truth. God, I just declare that your blessing and your grace and your favor and your power and your love and your face, your presence would shine on every single person under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in person or catching this message later through Facebook. I declare your blessing, your presence, your grace, your love, and your favor over every single person here today. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working it out in us. You're working out God's plan. You're working out God's purpose. And you're working out God's love. We declare this and we receive this by faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.